Hello and welcome to Enough Wicker, a podcast where we can act and write as we discuss the greatest television show of all time, The Golden Girls. I'm Lauren. And I'm Sarah. And today we're tackling the 96th episode in the series, High Anxiety. I can't believe we're here already. I can't believe I we're at 96, but like... 96, yeah. High Anxiety, big fucking deal. <laughs> yeah, this is a pivotal episode, I think. Exactly. Sorry, that, that F-bomb was for all of our adoring fans that don't want to have me curse. I'm sorry, guys. I yeah, no it. feminism. Tone it down. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, obviously this is a huge episode and it factors in, not only is it actually very funny, there's, a, there's the great B story, which we'll definitely get into, but um, they actually do a good job of having a lot of punchy lines in this super important subject matter. But it's, it factors in so much to the Golden Girls scholarship, uh, you know, community, basically. <laughs> I mean, we have interviewed no less than four scholars who have like really specifically called out this episode in their papers in their work. Um, Miles Martin, Claire Sewell of, you know, Golden Girls Fashion Corner, Jared Clayton Brown and Dr. Elizabeth Yuko. They've all mentioned um, basically like, the, you know, this episode in the context of women's healthcare and just how there are certain, <laughs> as Dr. Elizabeth Yuko says, like ethical issues that come up around, you know, not only, uh, you know, addiction, um, but specifically, you know, HIV, as we'll see in later episodes and chronic fatigue syndrome and just discrimination against women, older women at that and all of like everything that kind of goes in this package. So this episode and the, the whole subject matter is like it's super heavy, but also incredibly progressive because we're still dealing with the stigma of addiction and how people understand it as a medical issue. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I think also, like, it's so timely now because we're sort of um, experiencing some sort of reckoning for the opioid epidemic. Like, the Sacklers are <laughs> some still free of. to live their lives, but, um, you know, there is sort of, like, a social and legal demand for uh, some kind of accountability. Um, and I think it's what's really interesting about this episode is, like, the story of Rose being prescribed these pills for basically working as a mule essentially like a literal it's, mule not a drug yeah. mule like a real mule on a farm like an um, actual mule which we can, right. we can that's a whole other topic <laughs> yeah. an episode about that situation but you know like so she gets this injury and she gets prescribed these drugs and then she becomes dependent on them and the piece that obviously does, it, this episode doesn't go into um is that many people get to a point where they can't afford the pills or the the doctors yeah. like you know get shut down or whatever and so then they turn to like heroin or fentanyl or whatever mm -hmm. Um, and like just the origins of the addiction are still so much the same. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. Um, and then the other piece I wanted to bring up, you were naming all of those scholars is that, um, Kate Brown in her book talks about how Rose is like, you know, the picture of the American dream. And like, we've talked about how she had to be the one to have the HIV scare because right. she was the one you would never expect to. And also the one who had such, um, sort of rigid ideas about what type of person that happens to. Right. And I think this is the exact same. Like she, not that right. any of them sort of have this, like, you know, would fit into this um, seamlessly, but it has to be Rose because it has to be the naive sort of innocent one who kind of like, you know, at least in the beginning when she's describing her use of these pills, like doesn't seem to even, it doesn't occur to her that this is a problem. It's right. just like how she's always lived. 
yeah, Dorothy says something like, I don't think that your doctor intended you for it to take them this long, you know? And it's like... <laughs> for 30 years. <laughs> that is such an awesome line in and of itself, right? About just, like, how our healthcare system is set up and how you can just sort of go from doctor to doctor and nobody knows your, like, past history or, like, why you're making a certain choice. And, like, you know, I, I'm sure it's a personal preference, too, that some doctors are much better at this than others, but, like, checking in with people, right? And continuing things and not just assuming that you know like sort of like punch the ticket of you know writing the prescription and move on um right. and i think to your point of how there's somewhat of a reckoning like doctors are much more aware and there's also protocols put in place right in hospitals and other things which is a whole other issue with like the chronic pain community who's like now i can't get my pills because people are abusing these but it's like it's it's a whole ugly world and i think um to your point about rose having to be the one part of this you know the the first third of this episode is like how incredulous like they're all being of how rose is acting right because that's so not her like whereas like maybe you know sophia being cantankerous because she's she's not taking her pills would be like a normal thing so even in like the writing of the characters it kind of has to be rose for all of them to be like what is going on you know right Um, why 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 yeah i mean (laughs) seriously you know Ugh, but uh yeah it's it's really it's really fascinating and it's it's kind of funny because to me just in thinking about the the order of the episodes i would have thought this comes later i would have thought this came after chronic fatigue actually yeah i i mean yeah i think i think it's it's in the same sort of um canon as the chronic fatigue and yeah. the 72 hours um but it does feel like I mean that's the middle of season 4 right at this point so like they're not it's not new or anything well, but this is Right, yeah, the end. Um, this is a pretty big thing to take on, as, yeah. you know, certainly as writers, but also as actors. Um, and actually, speaking of that, so in the Jim Colucci book, they talk about, the writers talk about how they had written this plot um, actually for the Ellen Burstyn show. Hmm. And um, the episode aired, but that show just didn't have very high ratings. And so, like, they basically felt comfortable reusing, reusing it, it for yeah. it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, it just... I think it also speaks to like the significance of having this on TV. Like yeah. people really wanted it. Both like the writers and the producers, everyone felt like it should be on. Um, and I think like, you know, it's pretty easy to understand why. Yeah, absolutely. But even just like how far beyond this episode is, I mean, skipping ahead, you know, like Dorothy's like you have a medical problem like that right. that line right there is so progressive and it's like we're in we're not even in close to being in the throes of like what we refer to as the opioid em- epidemic and yet this is still highly relevant at this time they're not talking about crack cocaine right, right. you know they're talking about medically prescribed anxiety pills like that's wild so anyway yeah, yeah I, well, she's like, you have a, and when she's like, um, what is there to be embarrassed about? You know, like that also, oh. I feel like that whole bit is like, yeah, I think it's even, you know, I, I, I do feel like the opioid epidemic has changed a lot of minds, I think, but I still think some people have trouble seeing addiction as a disease and not just something that like, oh, why don't you just stop using drugs? And, you oh, know, absolutely. like absolutely. intellectually people know, and that, you know, part of me, I think like allows a little bit of, um, or, you know, I can, I can understand a little bit if you've been affected by somebody you love using drugs or something like that. Like, it's easy to be like, why can't you just stop when you're seeing all this destruction? But, mm-hmm. you know, there's a 
physical and mental dependence that isn't you can't and and the other thing is when Dorothy's like it could be dangerous to just stop with no help that's also totally true which I thought was really super progressive as well absolutely yeah that line is huge and I think like you know what the opioid epidemic did for you know and unfortunately this is sort of the same idea with the AIDS crisis right with Ryan White which was like put this palatable face on the epidemic because that's how Americans think and that's how our society is structured unfortunately but like having Rose be the vehicle here as you've mentioned is like key to having this message delivered but also just the idea of when you were talking about people who are addicted right like the addiction piece is the disease yes you might make personal choices to get from point A to point B, right? You might decide to just buy heroin one day. But this particular epidemic and in the situation that Rose is in, it's actually prescribed in the medical community. This is the whole issue with the Sacklers, right? It's like that people said it was safe and that this is prescribed by a doctor. It feels a lot different from talking to like your friend down the hall who sells junk, right? Right, So it's like, it's, but the thing is to your point, like the outcome is the exact same. Your body gets addicted. And heroin is the same as an opioid pill. You know, I mean, it's like yeah. all, all of these pieces are the same. And it, and it, change, it changes your, your entire brain chemistry and you don't act like yourself. So that's the whole idea. It's like, yes, if you have a personal, um, if you know somebody who has been addicted or is addicted, it's really hard because they don't act like themselves. And, and, and it seems like everything they're doing is a personal choice to continue, but it's not. Like, it's, like, literally messes with their brain chemistry. So, like, you can make judgments about how they got in the situation, but that, that's not going to change anything, right? Like, you have to actually approach it like Dorothy is here, like a medical issue, and you got to go. I mean, Rose goes away for a month. It's right. pretty amazing. It's yeah. pretty incredible. Like, to actually, I, I forgot about that part of the plot, that she's gone for a month. Right. I only remembered the part where they stay up with her. But, yeah, um, which yeah. which honestly does add a little bit of like heft to it because I think we you know like we always make jokes about how like oh she just kicked a thirty I mean I don't yeah, even no problem. Say, like kicking a thirty year addiction in thirty days with no problem is a also little and, yeah but exactly. like you know you can appreciate at least that they tried to be like okay it wasn't just one night and she's like over it well and I think that that's that's the important part right because relapse is incredibly common and right. like there you can go to rehab seven eight nine twelve twenty times like that's again changes your brain chemistry it's really hard to get back from that so yeah um so i thought that that inclusion of sort of like the hooray we did it and then be like no no we didn't was actually really true to life and very important to include yeah totally um one other quick thing on this if you are interested and um want to learn more about the opioid epidemic and addiction in general um there's a book that came out i think it was last year called empire of pain um by Patrick oh, Radden yeah. Keefe and it's really uh you know it's a real indictment of the Sacklers for sure um but I loved it I read it super quickly um and I think it's really uh a really worth your time read if you're into this stuff it's obviously a bit of a downer but yeah um, for sure I like it um okay so do you want to switch gears slightly and and go to the opening scene with soda jerk <laughs> yeah talking about malt malted milkshakes I, I know love it. So, so Brooklyn great. It it's so it's so Brooklyn. It's so great, and I also love the like Dorothy as a soda jerk. Also, that's the second time they've used a riff of the soda jerk line. Yeah, <laughs> come to think of it, he was a town jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Doing but a also, reference for the age, you know. Yeah, exactly. I don't really like malted milkshakes. I'm more of an egg cream kind of gal myself. 
What's the difference? I don't know if I've ever... I don't know what I've had. Well, an egg cream's a whole different thing, but it's, like, of the same, like, what the fuck is an egg cream? Kind of, yeah. like, what the fuck oh, is a Oh, boy, cream? a chocolate egg cream. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I smell of pony rice. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, no, but I just, I don't like the taste of malt. I don't know. It's not... Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I haven't had it in a long time, but I do remember getting, uh, uh, what were those malted milk balls that oh, you got whoppers. for Halloween? Whoppers. Yeah, exactly. I don't like those either. <laughs> so then you probably wouldn't like a malted milkshake. No. Um, anyway, also Blanche's shirt in this opening scene is hilarious. It kind of reminds me of the Skippy blanket. Like, it's almost, like, airbrushed. <laughs> you, did you notice it? No, I didn't think you noticed it's about just it a little. It's in. just a little, like, outlandish. <laughs> you know, again, pushing the boundaries. Late in the fourth season, we're, like, we're getting into new wardrobes. We're having fun. It's hilarious. For sure. Um, it's really cute, also, just, like, the concept of all of them at home having milkshakes. It's another one yeah. of those instances of, like, you know, what is it actually like to live with roommates? And it is sort of, like, if you're going to make you know, a milkshake or something that kind of requires like, you know, or if you make something even like in a slow cooker or something yeah. like that, you usually do like a communal thing like that. Exactly. Um, and I love those moments of seeing them as roommates. Totally. And especially with somebody's history of just like, you know, and this happens a lot, obviously with Rose when no one cares, like, Oh, an old family recipe. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but like, but um, you know, like Sophia making her famous sauces or something, or like having Dorothy's background of like, oh yeah I used to make these so like let me make them again and like you know like that's that's kind of a fun story that pairs well with like I'm making my roommates milkshakes very cool yeah it's cute <laughs> um the the part uh where so like you know they're having they're having their milkshakes and, and whatnot and then um <laughs> they're just, when Rose you know when they have the pill moment that comes in for this episode like they're talking about like like spilling the oregano <laughs> like, yeah well, also all I could think about was like living in a one bedroom Brooklyn apartment, as you know very well, and just like where you have weird things next to other things that would never happen, like a full house, yeah. <laughs> such as oregano in your medicine cabinet. <laughs> but, yep. But like that cracked me up. I was like, why is the oregano next to the pills? Like, come on, guys. Like, you. <laughs> I know. And the you have room. Being in the kitchen is an interesting choice i have you know like that's not so so off but i think that's an old people thing too I you're having breakfast is. and you're like you have all of your fucking pills lined up for the day right. i think that makes sense so i and my mom that part. Um, my mom kept them in the kitchen actually when we were growing up like even like tylenol and stuff and i i recently like asked her about it um and I think, like, she was saying that she always kept her prescriptions and stuff in there and, like, basically, like, to guard against, like, secret using. Like, we obviously, like, my brother and I were, like, you know, 12 oh. and 7 at this time. Like, it wasn't a concern. But I, you know, like, there is some um, addiction that runs in her family. And so I think she was just always, like, super cautious of that. Yeah. Um, hey, that that's, was interesting. Talk about a PSA for this episode. I mean, that's yeah. also what they recommend. And you said 12. That's not that young. No, like, yeah, kids start true. experimenting pretty early, especially if you hear about stuff like magic pills that, oh, they can help you study more or some shit. You know, I mean, kids yeah, are that's true. so susceptible. <laughs> yeah, that's in exactly. Yeah. So yeah, actually, that's a really great idea. Mm -hmm. Keep track of your pills, people, and don't share them. It's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> PSA. <laughs> PSA. Anyway, back to the oregano, though. I do love that later in the episode, <laughs> Rose is like, I couldn't sleep, so I decided to rearrange the kitchen cabinets, and I'm just like. Oh, because the pills are kept with the oregano. <laughs> right, yeah. It's like just occurred to her that that's weird. <laughs> totally. It cracks me up. 
Um, all right. So also the the pizza. Obviously, <coughs> we got to talk about the pizza commercial because. Oh my god! Yes. So great. from the very beginning, also when um, Sophie's talking about it or whatever, and then <laughs> like there's just so much humor in that whole scene but also like the whole concept even before they get to it like when she's talking to Sai and she's like oh please somebody else sets up the driver's egg cones like oh so, my god it's that one full is of amazing. jokes which you need because the first you know the a story is so sort of heavy yeah it's so rough yeah okay so somebody else sets up the driver's egg cones. so amazing so great <laughs> um I think it's funny that they do turn Dorothy around quickly to be in the commercial though I think yeah. it's like I think typically she's like not one for the the stardom but maybe this is like a a newer side of dorothy as we move through the series she's got more confidence you know um yeah also would have thought that sophia would be against it too because it's like her thing but you know they kind of like let that go um well she's always after money and i feel like it as long as that's involved yeah right exactly i do love um blanche's comment of course like yeah no, no way okay right this way yeah 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 exactly <laughs> they're both always after money um and you know i think you said this i forget maybe it was um when they were doing a play or something but you have said it on this podcast about how difficult it is to be a really good actor and pretend to be like bad at acting yeah. um and like that, the whole meta the whole meta situation of acting while acting yeah and it's just like you know just another again like another nod to like how amazing the Arthur is because she just does such a good job at like kind of stumbling over the lines and also yes. just like appearing to be like super uncomfortable um and another thing from Jim Colucci's book about this scene is they, uh, one of the writers talked about how um, he wanted, he like threw out an ad lib line um, during rehearsal and it got a laugh. And so he wanted to try to like have them do it during the real filming. Uh-huh. And Estelle Getty made some comments to him about like, oh, you're either really brave or really stupid because B did not like to ad lib and she did not like when ad libbing was um, part of the part of the process well, um, especially that far into the mix right if right exactly rehearse, yeah like that's like a dry run through kind of thing um yeah and the other piece is that both Estelle and B were such sticklers for grammar that they would like if a line was written grammatically um if a line was grammatically incorrect they would both sort of like have trouble delivering it like yeah. outside of this episode and so like so great the writers tried to really play on that too which is funny and also you know i i feel like you could predict that at least about b arthur but it does make sense for Estelle too who's like a theater person absolutely and i think there's a certain rigor that you know she put forth in her process as well despite her horrible stage fright right right um i i love this because you know as you well know and as many listeners might know um Chris of Golden Girls Posters, who's been on our podcast, uh, you know, a few times and just is an overall gem, runs uh, a t-shirt shop with some esoteric quotes from the show that only a true fan would enjoy. And I was thrilled that he had a little Pizza Hut logo with the perfect Pizza Hut font that said, perfect pizza with pizzazz. Because, like, if I'm going to pick a shirt that really speaks to me, not only for my love of pizza and the Golden Girls, and crazy obscure lines that only hyper fans of the Golden Girls would get, and being a stickler for grammar, it's like, at all, it's all wrapped into one is like the best fucking shirt ever. <laughs> so. It really is, yeah. I also love the stuffed crust pizza from Pizza Hut. I know that's a cardinal sin being from New York, but... No, I, I, I love it too. 
You know how many times I went to Pizza Hut? First of all, I got so many for being a top reader in my school. Oh my okay. god, I was a book it kid too. Of course, of course. I, I, I literally won top reader in second grade, which I'm sure the eighth graders were pissed about because they're like, we gotta read chapter books. You're reading fucking picture books. But yeah. Um, anyway, it was still <laughs> That's a <great>. loophole. <laughs> Total loophole. But yeah, I got my little crystal Pepsi and my personal pan pizza. And yeah, we went to Pizza Hut all the time with their, you know, kale lined buffet. And yeah. it was amazing. So, That's so anyway, a yeah, mighty I... lousy pizza. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. I can act and write. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a brilliant scene, and I do love again when you're talking about acting within the acting of not only how annoying Dorothy's being, but how stumbling she's being, and how easy the younger woman who's playing the you know the waitress or whatnot delivers it so you can already see it happening before it happens right before they make the switch yeah and put dorothy in that amazingly hilarious outfit that somehow does not look goofy on the younger woman but looks hilarious on her because she just delivers her face and her body language perfectly and oh man it's just it's epic all around epic yeah no it's totally something and, and it's also even funny that Sai is like you know he's not i wouldn't call him sleazy but he's definitely like you know, he's a business guy. Like, he's trying to make yes. this commercial or whatever. And then, you know, Sophia's like, he doesn't want to get anywhere near Rose. And just that concept of him being like... Oh, my God, I know. Too freaked out to go near Rose is also really funny. Um, and that's the then, link. That's the yeah, link exactly. between A and B. Yeah, there it is. There we got one. I know. Not, not um, typical, but... Yeah, that's really fucking funny. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so good. That the, the commercial scene is like a real... It's a real shining moment for a B story. Um, it is. It is, and I, I think um, I, the only thing I don't quite buy is that Sophia wouldn't have tasted the pizza already. <laughs> like, kind yeah. of like Dorothy accuses her, you know? It's like, but I guess, you know, like you said, in the pursuit of money above all else, and then in, in tasting the mighty lousy pizza, she was reminded of her moral principles <laughs> as right. a Sicilian. <laughs> and it's like, it is, you know, initially I was like, oh, I feel like she would have done it anyway for money, but... She does have these weird lines about like, you know, there are two things the Sicilian won't do or whatever. Yeah. So it, I, it's good. I, I like it. Totally. Totally. And hey, I mean, I like, I also feel that, you know, I've got Midwest in-laws and like, they're just like, pizza's pizza, whatever. Some's a little better than most. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not. Though. Yeah. <laughs> like there's like some pizza that I consider like a, a, a tragedy yeah. <laughs> that I taste. So it's, you know, and it's actually shockingly easy to come by tragic pizza in new york city so i can't imagine um you know I'm, I'm i'm basically very sold on the fact that uh the pizza in miami is can be equally bad despite the amount of new york immigrants there oh yeah for sure oh too funny but yeah it's so great um can we can we go back to when they do a roseanne bar dig oh yeah because <laughs> i know you're, you're a big the roseanne fan of roseanne. bar show i am i am a big fan of roseanne and it's super oh my god so I've been um, oh rewatching God. it like here and there, and it's so good. Like it just really it represents um, a group of Americans. You know, like I grew up like Roseanne's family. Like it, yes. it represents like a working class, like blue collar family, and you know it talks about I think the concepts of like people basically living in a state of being financially shaky at best and like you know um in trouble at worst is is so indicative of how a lot of people a lot of americans live more, more than half at this point by totally the way. yeah and i think at the time even more yeah um and you know like she had like gay people and she had like 
people with addiction. She talked about domestic violence and all of these like really super, super important and like depression and racism. And like, you know, we could be doing a podcast about Roseanne, but also now she's like totally off her rocker and like a right wing lunatic. Um, and it's just super, it is really disappointing. Um, it is. But yeah, it's a, it's an important show, but I do love the dig about like any kind of abuse. He'd be directing the Roseanne Barr show. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really it's pretty amazing, but yeah, and you can see her treating directors pretty rough. I feel like yeah, exactly. Well, particularly with the the, the hindsight that we have right now of just kind of where her mindset is. But um, you're right, though, that it's it's so interesting because it's the they reference other shows, you know, uh, the contemporaries of themselves, obviously, all the time. Like see see Matt Browning's book of all yeah. of the references, but. Um, this one stood out because of the political nature of the show and, and political in that soft P word, which is that politics is everything, right? And then right. how you run your life and the same reason why we believe that the Golden Girls is a political show, particularly for episodes like this. But um, yeah, I just, it, it reminds, like the dig at Roseanne definitely made me go in that like, you know, abusing director's way where you're like, I can believe that and thinking of her today and being really sad. And it's just like, it also makes me think, of course, of Ronald Reagan because so many of the situations that we're in today started as a result of the policies under his presidency. And there's, I wish I could find it, but there is an amazing, um, like, I, I forget if it's just a Twitter account or just some guy who just adds, like, a little Reagan marker to world trend maps. So, like, for example, if you're, like, looking at a map of, like, the opioid crisis right <laughs> or if you're wow, looking at a map cool. of like when income equality like split up and you see like mega spikes this guy just adds a little beacon marker of when ronald reagan became president to like show you how much his policies affected these vast like inequities in our system i mean it's it's really fascinating context um particularly because how you know how much the show is hyper aware of the reagan years and how it affects these four women and how it affected Roseanne's family and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's just really fascinating of like the cult of Reagan and the worship of him today from um, this mega right wing sect, because, you know, like where Roseanne has sort of herself fallen into um, just because like, that's all I can think about. It's like, all yeah. just like these terrible <clears throat> inequities and like how everything, you know, sort of doesn't trickle down. <laughs> Yeah, just so. turns out it doesn't work. Turns <laughs> Can you believe out. it? <laughs> turns out. So, um, yeah, I well, mean, we didn't just talk the... about feminism, but I think we just we did a good job. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Yes. Um, speaking of, uh, you know, money being short, we got to talk about Guggen Spritzer. Um, <laughs> okay. I think we're talking about losing a Krugerrand in the crisis. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's so good. It's so you know, and I think like it's so nice that they're all willing to stay up with her. And you know, I, yeah. I'm saying that I'm kind of like, obviously, of course, like you would, you would do that for your best friend. Um, but what I think is, is particularly like endearing about this is at least Dorothy and probably Bland, honestly, probably all of them know that this isn't going to be how Rose kicks this addiction. Like yes. they know that one night is going to do anything, but like it is important psychologically yes. to have one night under your belt. And so like, then being willing to pay this like stupid game and like stay up with her and you know kind of just like reinforce that all she needs to do is is take it one day at a time and for you know and and different phrasing um I think is really really uh powerful and actually like one of the biggest 
notes of like how deep their friendship is I think yes and I think you're so right spot on where it's like they know that's not actually how it works because they have the medical problem like context but like that's that's like the recovery community is all about one day at a time that's all you can do right that's all you can tackle like that that psychologically to your point is the most important part you have to want to to kick this you have to want to like figure out how you're going to get to the other side so really interesting i also love though that like the like monopoly-esque game is like (laughs) when they totally freak out it's like that's exactly what monopoly does to friend groups yeah (laughs) i played a lot of monopoly in high school and i just like swore it off for like the next eight years because i just couldn't stand it anymore yeah, and you know, we've we, we talked about how neither one of us are very competitive, um, but we recently uh, had some friends over to play Monopoly, maybe like a couple, like six months ago or something. Oh, really? Monopoly? Rainy, yeah. Okay. It was a rainy day. It was like, you know, perfect for it. Um, and I, you know, it was like four hours, and by the end, I was like, all right, I've had enough. But you know, Michelle is like incredibly competitive. Totally. And she and one of our other friends were like going, and like, I feel like they played for like six hours, because, you know, at some point, like, people start to drop off, because you just run out of money. Um, right. And they just like kept, they kept going. I I think Michelle might have won, which I feel like I should include, but I'm actually not sure. Um, but it was fun. It was, it was an extremely you know, it is the stereotype. Like, it does take you a really long time. It's a very, um, you know, involved game versus, like, this Spritzer game where it's, like, over in a minute when you buy the <laughs> totally. phone booth, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tear down that phone booth. <laughs> People oh use God. the phone booth. <clears throat> oh, my God. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, the, the image of me fading away after a few hours of Monopoly is very familiar to me. Yeah, so. it's like, I got things to do. Oh, but yeah, but again, to your point, it's a, it's a big testament to how much they adore Rose and how much they want to be there for her. I think, you know, it's, such, it's really important. And if you don't have community when you're going through shit like this, like, what do you have, right? It's like, right. it's really, really rough. So, um. I also love the beloved cat Fluffy. Rose, you've never had cats. You're allergic, right? We're, <laughs> we're touching on some of those um, epic, uh, you know, idiosyncrasies. Right. <laughs> Which, like, you know, um, we, you know obviously uh, factor in. And, and fresh on my mind, too, I have to, you know, do a little self-promotion that uh, I recently wrote, wrote a piece for Mental Floss on fan theories. And at least three of those fan theories that are put forth are ways to explain the idiosyncrasies and the misalignments of the timeline and characters and qualities and the fact that they don't have a mega Golden Girls like reference tome for writing in the show, <laughs> you know, which obviously comes up all the time. But right. uh, definitely mentioning of like, you know, Mr. Peepers and Rose never having cats because she's allergic. You're just like, what the fuck, guys? <laughs> Right, and the dog rescued the cat who he never really liked. So there's exactly. a lot of another hole. <laughs> another hole, exactly. It's hilarious. But uh, another great line is uh, looking for some nookie. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. And Blanche trying to pretend that, like, first of all, she doesn't appear to have, like, an addiction to sex. Like, she just likes sex. Right. Um, and her trying to, like, play the card of, like, I tried quitting something. Like, you know, and they're like, no way. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It doesn't super, like, work for me. I'm a little bit, like... I mean, this person has, like, an addiction to pills for 30 years. Like, you trying to be celibate for two weeks, I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but... Yeah, for real, for real. 
I mean, it has to, you know, I don't know. It makes sense with the character, and at least it delivers yeah. that hilarious line to me, so I'm happy about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did I forget but... to mention the man was my sister's husband? <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's epic. But yeah, it's, it's, it's an all-around great episode. I think it does the work of... I have the similar vibe of, like, after we watched Brother Can You Spare That Jacket, where I was like, I don't actually... Like, I'm not as... Uh, avoidant of that episode anymore i think you know in terms of yeah. like the heavy themes and uh because i think it works in so many ways um and i kind of feel the same about this one and i hadn't watched it as often because i was like Oof, rough stuff with rose you know but um one it doesn't get as dramatic it just you know gets her yelling at the director basically <laughs> it's yeah. as rough as it gets but um but two, it's it just it really approaches it very well for you know the twenty six twenty eight minutes whatever that they have to to work with this. So um, I really like it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think the end is really, really well done when she comes back and she's like, "We had a chicken named Gordon," and then she just like goes off and they're like, "Totally same old same rose." Old rose. It's, it's really, really, really sweet. And I yeah. yeah, I agree. I think it's a really um, it's better and honestly like easier to watch than I remembered too. Yeah, I think that's what that's what I'm, that's way more articulate than what I was no, saying before. No, that's what you're but that's exactly just, you know, it. building yeah. on that. <laughs> no, exactly. No, but I'm I, that's you nailed it. So I think it's great. But but yeah, that's all I've got. Me too. Okay, well, join us next time. We're going to discuss toxic family members yet again and uh, Steve Garvey's potential offspring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Take care.